you guys were called to do that. <laughs> Especially when you start seeing tears in Ryan's eyes, you know something's going on there. Calling you out, buddy. Calling you out. Well, we're going to continue here. We're going to buckle up and, and get it going. I, I'm just speechless by that. Um, and, and that, I think, is faith. And that's what we're talking about today is believing and, and faith and, and doing things because you have a faith that God is alive, that He is doing things in you and through you, and that He wants to perform a miracle in places like the video that we just saw, and that He wants to do those miracles through you, but you have to believe in Him. You have to believe in the Lord and believe that He actually is still in the process and still in the business of doing what He's always done. I, I would encourage you, the Scripture is pretty clear about faith. Um, Jesus notices our faith. Uh, it's important to Jesus. It's hard faith. When I think about faith, it kind of makes me cringe. I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later, just with some of the experiences I had growing up. Um, I'll just say it reminded me of uh, pastors with shiny, sparkly suits that talked about faith. But um, <laughs> but as, as Christians, we're supposed to be people of faith. We're, we're supposed to believe in Him. And, and we don't just believe in Him as an historical figure, someone who was alive 2,000 years ago, but we believe in Him today as the risen Lord. We're going to celebrate that next week, Easter, that He is not dead. He surely is alive. The one who is right now alive and active, working in this world through people like Ryan and Samara. We believe right now Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. And a huge prayer of mine over the past six weeks is as we're going through this position for a miracle, it's just that faith would increase. Faith would grow. As your shepherd, I care so much about you. I, I care about your faith and I can't change anybody and I can't force anybody to believe certain things or not believe certain things. But I do want to give you the opportunity to grow in your walk with the Lord, grow in faith. Because I just want you to know, I, I'm pretty excited these days and I get that I'm always excited, but I really am. I, I'm excited. I, I feel like 2016 has been amazing. I think this series, the last six weeks, have been amazing. The, I mean, just miracle after miracle. What we've seen, and, and, and the reality is God was moving before 2016. I just think so many of us now have new eyes to see, new ears to hear. And, and I'm freaking out. I, I can only imagine if this is what January, February, and March looks like, what is April, May, and June going to look like? So I don't know about you, but I, I just like, wow, God, like, I, don't, I don't always understand where you're taking us, but you sure are taking us. So I better buckle up and make sure the airbags work because you are moving. So I just want to encourage us in that, that I, I would love to see all of us kind of get on that faith wagon, so to speak. Some of us have just come alive in the last couple of months, and it's been my journey to kind of walk you through that and walk with you through that. But I think there's still room on the wagon, um, on the faith journey wagon. And, and I would just encourage you that faith is something that um, I think there's room for. I think there's room in America for real people of faith to, to, to kind of rise up and, and to uh, make themselves known. In America, right, everyone's got faith. But I'm talking about a faith in Jesus Christ, and not just of that guy from back in the day, but a faith in the God who is right now working in us and through us. But let's pause for a minute. Faith, what is faith? I look at faith and I think about faith and there's two types of faith for me. There's the faith that is pretty real and sincere and then there's that faith that is fake and phony. And you notice this real faith in First uh, and Second Timothy. Paul, he, he talks about Timothy. He says, Timothy, I see your sincere faith. Remember that? Timothy 1. Five, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. If he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, that probably means he's encountered other people that maybe do not have such a sincere faith. I think Jesus encounters some people with so-called faith. Uh, the Pharisees, remember that? He encounters the Pharisees and they're, you know, they're like the religious leaders of the day. And yet he says to those Pharisees, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but on the inside you are wet. You are full of dead men's bones. So it looked like faith. It had the appearance of faith, but it actually was quite an insincere fake faith. Now I'm going to go into some scary territory here. Uh, I'm going to talk about Christian television. Um, I'm not going to diss it too much because, um, to be honest, I loved watching TV and growing up as a kid. I spent hours of my life watching preachers and teachers on TV talking about faith. 
But the older I get, this is where I want to go with this, is that I just begin to question a little bit about what they were talking about in regards to faith. Don't you know, on those shows, they were always talking about faith. Did you notice that? It was always about faith. Always telling you, by the way, that you needed to have what? More faith. And it's true. Hebrews 11.6 tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. I believe that. Faith is necessary. But I have to be honest. I watched these programs and it kind of felt like if I was lacking in faith, the preacher on TV was more than willing to sell me theirs. Right? The miracle spring water, the, the cloth. The, I remember one time I got... From a ministry I was supporting, I got the oil that had been poured over, you know, Oral Roberts' hands and, and those types of things, and the, the signed book. And, and so I kind of walked through those things. Fundraisers. I loved watching the fundraisers as a kid because the fundraisers, remember that? It would be like, there's a hundred lines and, and 99 of them are full, but one's, you know, available. But then it got kind of boring, right? And so then it was like, maybe 50 lines are full, 50 lines are available. So that's when they bring out the ringer, right? The guy that, and what is he talking about? He goes, you need to, Sow a seed of faith. Sow a seed of faith. And he'd say, there's a, there's a, what did he, he'd say stuff like, there's a blessing out, there's a two, five, six blessing for the first 20 people to give $6,000. And the first 20 people to give $6,000, a two, five blessing. And the two, five blessing, oh, we got one, we got two. And then, and then you'd see it like it'd go to like, everyone's calling, right? And like, oh, there's, and I'm competitive and I want all the lines to be full. And I'm like, yes, all the lines are full. And I would just watch that stuff. I loved it. And I'm telling you, it was always about faith, right? And, and you guys know the preachers, right? It would be like, you got to name it and claim it. If you want to possess it, you got to confess it, right? Confess it and possess it. Name it and claim it. And as a young man, this is just what I want to say. I, it felt like that's what faith was, right? Faith was just me naming it and claiming it, possessing it after I confessed it. And as a young person watching TV, it felt like faith and all that stuff going on was really about me. Faith was about me getting stuff out of God, right? And more specifically, faith was about receiving material possessions, the things I was naming, the things I was confessing. Faith really felt like it was about me receiving things and the preacher receiving an offering, right? It was this beautiful exchange. I give you money and I get whatever I'm supposed to get that I asked for. One of the craziest scenes, it was like 20 years ago, I was a teenager and I'm when I look back at now, I mean, this guy was just crazy. But at the time, I thought he was brilliant. I remember this preacher speaking on one of the stations, and he was talking about how he had this issue. This issue, he was lusting after a Mercedes Benz. And so he asked the Lord, he cried out to the Lord, put his faith in the Lord that the Lord would give him a Mercedes Benz, because then he wouldn't have to struggle with lust any longer. I'm telling you, this is a, he, I, I mean, I thought this was the coolest thing in the world. So he believed that the Lord would give it to him. And of course he did, as people called the 1-800 number. And so now he's got his Mercedes Benz. And now he could focus on the Lord instead of lusting after the car. And as a teenager, with my own desires, I was like, yeah, sign me up. Like, first, I want a supermodel wife. Second, I want to have some you know, NBA basketball skills. Third, God, could I have a million dollars? In fact, could I have two million dollars? Because don't you know I'm feeling generous? I'll give the other million to the church, right? That's what I did when I played bingo as well. God, man, if you give me B6, if you give me B6, you know half of this money is going to you. And then I'm not lusting anymore. My life will be used all to the glory of God. But here's, I mean, if faith really worked that way... Um, wouldn't everyone be a Christian, right? Faith wouldn't be faith. You wouldn't need to have faith in God. You just need that genie in a bottle who'd give you whatever you wish for. Lord, I wish for a Mercedes Benz so I can be free to serve you and spend my time with you instead of lusting after that beautiful car. Do you know how stupid that is? Because <laughs> what happens after you get the Mercedes? You just lust after something else. And this isn't a message against Mercedes. I like Mercedes. If I had a Mercedes, awesome. Like, cool. I love, I think it's a great car. Uh, Trevin, um, who I actually forgot to pick up for second service, is sleeping right now. That's totally my bad, and I just remember that as I'm talking. It's awesome. <laughs> and my wife is at work. And, oh, man. Now, woo. Mm. I'll tell you, if I, I got that Mercedes, do you think Trevin would be happy? Of course he'd be happy. I'd be the coolest stepdad in the world. But... 
So I'm not against Mercedes. I just feel like when we manipulate it or dumb down faith to just being about getting what you want, what you desire, that is so far less than what the Lord asks us to have. And yet I see it. So many Christians trapped in this way of thinking that faith is all about you. And by the way, I'm also not against people being blessed financially. In fact, I find great joy. Don't you find great joy when your friends are overwhelmingly blessed by God in this way? I mean, that, that makes me happy because without them, by the way, this probably wouldn't be happening right now. The doors wouldn't be, be open right now. In, in the last six years, the gifts of $10,000 to $15,000 that we have received from people that just have generous hearts that the Lord has blessed and they're using those resources in healthy ways. I'm not against that. I'm not against you having wealth, but I am. I'm just telling you, I'm fed up this morning. I am sick and tired of faith always being so intricately tied to me, to me, and to me, and finally, me. That my faith is about my wealth, my possessions, what I get out of faith, what I get out of God. I've also observed a pretty unhealthy teaching on faith. Many pastors, churches, TV programs preach this. That if you just believed a little more, right? If you just had a little more faith, then you'd be out of debt. If you just had a little more faith, then you'd have gotten that job. If you just had a little more sick, you, or a little more faith, you wouldn't be sick anymore. You just lack faith. And, and so many people feeling condemned and shamed, just getting the wrong impression about God because they're hearing the message, if only they would have prayed a little more, believed a little more, then you'd be healed. Well, I just want to say, some of the most faith-filled people I have known have died of really awful, ugly illnesses. Uh, one of the preaching pastors at my former church, Phil Arndt, uh, he died last year. This is two years after another volunteer pastor at our church died from a brain aneurysm while he was waiting in the medical office. And, and Phil, he died last year. He didn't lack faith. Uh, this man is a man of faith. I mean, just listen. This is from his obituary. You want to see a man who has dedicated his life to the Lord. Look at this. He says, Phil earned his MA in Christian education from a Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary. He studied further at Fuller Theological Seminary. He earned his doctorate of missiology from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. For 15 years, Phil served as an associate pastor at First Baptist Church of Modesto. From 1995 to 1999, Phil and his wife served with SIM as missionaries in Ethiopia where Phil became fluent in the Amharic language and developed deep and lasting convictions about empowering national Christian leaders. In 2000, the family moved to Spokane, where Phil served as director of ministry development with Partners International. For the past three years, this was written last year, for the past three years, he served with Reach Global as the international leader of Global Equipping Division. Phil traveled to over 80 countries, to all 50 states, and he died. And he died an awful death. Uh, brain tumor. Painful. Suffering. And, and I think about that man who was just so full of faith. Phil, I mean, think about Phil. When I came in as a 24-year-old into that church, he could have whipped me. I mean, with his, his theology and with his brilliance and with all his knowledge, he could have just torn me apart because I didn't know that much. But what did he do when I came in as a 24-year-old to lead worship in that church? He loved me. He encouraged me. He built me up. He, 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 he prayed for me. This was an amazing man of God. I want you to meet my friend Carol. Carol's another person. She died of, of, of cancer. And the thing about Carol that it's, it's really in, incredibly um, intense is that Carol, she believed she was going to be healed like till the day she died. Um, she honestly believed that the Lord had told her that the cancer would be gone. And of course, we can say, well, yeah, she was healed, um, you know, when she went to be with the Lord. And, and we know that's true. But no, that's not what she was talking about. She was talking about like the Lord is going to remove my cancer. I'm not going to have cancer anymore and I'm going to be healed. She believed that till she died. This is a lady that loved the Lord. She, I, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to come over to the Birch house once or twice every week and give my mother massages because my mother struggled with chronic disease or pain. And, and this lady would come twice a week to massage my mom so that my mom could cope with life. I didn't know that wasn't normal. This was an incredible lady. I have a, I, when my uh, fiance called off my wedding, I have a letter written from her. This is just literally a couple of weeks before she died and she still thinks she's going to be healed. Telling me, Dan, God's got plans for you. God cares for you. God's with you. I mean, come on church. If anyone should be healed, it should be her. But see, we have to be careful about how we do faith. 
Because there is a higher purpose for faith. Unlike the faith preached in many pulpits where it is about me, myself, and I, there is a faith that is not self-absorbed. There is a faith that is not just about me living a long, pain-free, happy life. But instead it is a faith that is for the benefit of others and to the glory of God. Not to your glory, but to the glory of God. There's a faith that changes lives. There's a faith that impacts those around you. And it is a faith that lasts longer, way past when you leave this earth. It affects even generations upon generations. When I think about Phil and Carol, think about the people in your life, the people of faith who have passed on. Think about the effect, the impact that their faith is still having to this day. Their faith in God is still advancing the kingdom. See, it's a faith that isn't selfish at its core. Again, so many sermons just take faith and make it so selfish about my happiness and my wants and my needs and my life. But instead, they have a faith where the core of their faith isn't about them. It's about a God who loves this world, who did not come to condemn it, but to save it. And he actually is going to use you to play your part, to play your piece of the puzzle for however long that is, whether it is long or short, that you would faithfully play your part. And as you play your part in faith, God's love will be advanced throughout this world. That's a different kind of faith. Do you have that kind of faith? A selfless faith. It's so important. It's, it's extremely powerful. You see this kind of faith in missions. That's why I think it's so important that we be involved in world missions because missionaries are crazy. Have you met one? And just the incredible faith that missionaries have. They, they possess this selfless faith in God that isn't about advancing their own kingdom. It isn't about them getting what they want out of God. Instead, it's a faith that longs and desires to see the advancement of God's kingdom and His True word. I mean, look at they were the, how they were moved at just the idea of the word of God being placed in the hands of people who have yet to read it in their own language. It's a crazy, absurd faith. It's a faith, by the way, that has affected entire tribes, <laughs> nations, all over the world. There's so many stories. I, I I just want to share a couple of faith. These people who went in faith, served in faith, and sometimes died in faith. And I want to share these stories because especially with missionaries, you see that in our own lives, many of them who gave their lives for God in faith, they never saw with their own eyes the impact of their lives. I mean, praise the Lord for Ray Wright. You know, there's things that he believed in and believed for that are happening. Praise the Lord. Jim Elliott, and some of you know the name Jim Elliott. He was a missionary in Ecuador. Four other missionaries killed by the, the Akua tribesmen while, while they were trying to evangelize the tribe. Later, Elliott's wife and other missionaries come back to the tribe, evangelize, continue to evangelize, and they reach the tribe for Jesus. Even the man who killed Jim Elliott came to know Jesus. Or the story of Richard and June Bartz, 23 years ago. I love this story. They, they couldn't, in the, the place where they were serving, they could not openly proclaim the gospel in that country. And so what they would do, they would just walk around these different neighborhoods at night and they would pray. And they would pray, and, oh God, the day when the truth might be openly preached, that people could actually hear and respond to the love of God in an open way. It seemed impossible, but they prayed anyway. The place where they lived was very close to Christianity. Churches were born, burned, never could be rebuilt. A hard place. So hard that in six years, they had one convert. Can you imagine that? Giving up your life in faith. Six years, one convert. But listen to this, 23 years later. December 1st, 2014. This is a newsletter they wrote. It says, in December 1st, 2014, there was a public... Evangel uh, evangelistic meeting <clears throat> held there where an estimated 4,000 people attended. Most of the people who came were of another religious belief. A former fanatic who had even killed and burned his Christian victims before Jesus changed his life and he was preaching the gospel. There was a great response 
Many received Christ, some were healed, many fell to the ground as the presence of God fell on them. There were only two military guards present, yet there was no violence or protest at all. I think that's pretty amazing, don't you? But see, what our teaching on faith does is it distorts faith in such a way that condemns people like the Barts. Right? Six years on the mission field, only one convert. Wow, and we gave you all that money. Jim Elliott, die? You're not supposed to die. Jim, Jim, you're, you're supposed to name it and claim it. Confess it and possess it, buddy. Ah, screwed that one up, huh, Jim? And yet, when you look at that kind of faith, oh, if you only had more faith, Jim, if you only had more faith, Bartz's, I mean, that's messed up, church. That is distorted, demented. That is a misleading of what it means to have faith. So I want to say this very clearly this morning. Sometimes those who remain steadfast in their belief, in their faith, even when they don't see the things that they believed for, these are the ones who express the greatest faith. Lifespring, listen up. Sometimes God gives you faith for something that you don't get to see, but that others will get to reap the harvest of. Are you good with that? Or is faith just about you and your happiness and you getting all the things you want? What is life about? You've got to be honest with it. What is God about? Are you just manipulating God so that you can be happy and get all the things you want? Or is your life truly there for a higher purpose? For maybe purposes that you don't even get to share the benefits of, of on, while you're on this earth. But you know that you're playing your piece, your puzzle piece of a greater story of God's love on this earth. It's a challenge, isn't it? Because think about it. When you first came to church, you came because it was needed and it made you happy. It's much harder when you come to church to die and give up your life and lay it down for others. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we get to hear a little bit about this. It's a great commentary on faith. It's a list of names of people who didn't get what they believed for. Yet the Bible says they died in faith, the world was not worthy of them, and all those listed gained approval through their faith. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these, they died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. It says later, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheep skins and goat skins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All these have gained approval through their faith. It doesn't sound like they got the Mercedes. But see, that's what I love about the spiritual giants of this world. That's not what faith was about for them. Faith wasn't about them. And praise the Lord that they lived the lives they lived because think about it. Right now we are standing on the foundation of the faith that they have displayed and that they expressed. How many martyrs, how many people who sacrificed their life for truly the advancement of God's kingdom that He might save the world and not condemn the world. Save it through Jesus Christ. And they laid down their lives for something bigger, better, and greater than themselves. These people, they were mocked. They were tortured. They were killed in horrific ways. But they were killed as people, men, women of faith. And their faith has laid the foundation for which we stand upon as Christians. Phil, Carol, Jim, the Bartzes, think about all the people in your life. The countless others who have laid down this legacy of faith. Think about the legacy of faith at LifeSpring Foursquare. We've been a church for 15 years. Think about all those people that were in those church planning meetings way back then. Think of all the people. I don't even know their names. I don't, even know, their, I don't know what they went through. But think about the blood, sweat, and tears. Think about the, the times that they prayed and they go, Oh God, if you would do this. Oh God, if you might give us a church. If you might give us a place to worship. Oh God, think of the tears they cried. Think of the muscles that got sore as they worked hard. Think of the frustrations and the conflicts and the fight. Think about the money that they gave. All because of something that they thought God might be wanting to do in this region. They thought God might actually want to, out of His love, to reach this community in this region. And yet so many of them have not been able to taste and see what God is doing here. 
I think about our founders, Chad and Yvonne Skilper, who are amazing people of God. How scary it is and how crazy it is to plant a church. It is really, uh, just a crazy thing to do. You know, the success rate on restaurants is bad. Think about for a church, it's worse. I mean, just the idea of planting a church, you will fail. That's what the world tells you. And yet they said, but God has called us to plant a church. We will plant a church in the five Milton Edgewood area and look at what God has done. And yet they're not getting to reap the benefits of that or get to see what God is doing. And yet their faith wasn't about themselves. Their faith was about God and others. Do you have that kind of faith? I hope this challenges you this morning. Because again, thousands upon thousands of sermons that say faith is all about me and getting what I want out of God. But can you have a faith that is actually saying, I surrender, I lay down my life, surrender my life. And God, I have a faith that you will use my life for your glory and your perfect will. Do you have that fire within your belly, church? I do. I love it. I love what God has done here. I, it is a blessing. I mean, just think about it. We don't deserve any of this. And yet, so many people of faith walk through incredible hardships for us to be able to stand here. I hope that we have that kind of faith, that the people that come after us, as Pastor Randy said, that these kids the next generation, that they would be able to stand upon the foundation that we have left and we have laid. Now let's talk about faith and the idea of salvation. I, I think hopefully we understand that it's through faith that we're saved. Um, one of our big beliefs as a four-square church is not by works, right? So that no one can boast, but by the grace of God through faith. So that's how we're saved. Faith, that's pretty amazing. By the way, that also means that I do not have time to talk about everything there is to talk about on faith. Um, I have a four-hour message, but <laughs> I got about ten minutes left. So, faith. But remember Abraham. How was Abraham, uh, his faith, he believed in God and it was credited to him as righteous. So Romans 4, you see that. Abraham it says if he was justified by works, then he had something to boast about, but not before God. But it wasn't about works, right? What does the scripture say? It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So how was Abraham declared righteous? Because he believed in God. He put his faith in God. He believed in him and it was credited to him righteousness. And then he became the father of of faith to all who believe. We need to get this. Abraham's righteousness was not about having good morals. His righteousness wasn't about following all the religious rules and observances, right? Being a good little, you know, boy or girl. God accepted Abraham's because of what? Because of his faith. From the beginning, our salvation has come through faith. But salvation through faith, faith isn't just about salvation. Faith, you know, that's great. And hallelujah, and uh, I come to get to know God through faith. And now I get to spend eternity with Him. But don't you know that after that salvation experience or the conversion experience, don't you know that you have to have faith the next day? Right? As a Christian, have you ever struggled with your faith? Have you ever had your faith kind of hit or punched or attacked? Have you ever had a moment in your faith where you're like, man, I don't even know if I believe any of this. Have you ever had a moment where you've had questions and you're just like struggling in your faith? It's a struggle. And yet as Christians, we believe 2 Corinthians 5, 7, don't we? For we live by what? We live by faith, not by sight. My eyes are telling me one thing, but my faith in God tells me another. And Jesus is looking for that, by the way. Matthew 9, 29. Be it done according to your faith. We're people of faith, you and me. Any of us who profess to follow Jesus, we walk by faith. Hebrews 11 gives us this amazing description of faith. I don't know if I still completely understand it. I've read it a thousand times, and I think the rest of my time on this earth, I'll still be uh, having the Lord reveal to me what it truly means. But you've heard it before. Hebrews 11, 1. It's a good tattoo. If you want a tattoo, do this one. It says, now faith... You know the crazy thing? I, I just have to go for it because this is crazy. We actually have a woman in our church who tattooed in Hebrew one of the things I said when I said that once. I'm not even joking. And then I promised myself I'd never say that again, but I just said it. Because she goes, Pastor Dan, look at what I did. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I was like, I hope what I said was biblical. <laughs> it's on your arm forever. <laughs> but look at this. Let's read it together. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. My parents always quoted that, and I've just struggled to understand what that is saying. Now, the writer of Hebrews, he's trying to convey 
faith in terms that you and I understand. But I think this shows you it's still hard to communicate and describe what faith really is. Faith, it is the substance of things hoped for. The Greek word here for substance is hoopstasis, which would kind of mean the setting under concrete. It is the foundation that everything is built upon. So genuine faith, it is a foundation that that God builds on. And he tells us that faith is the evidence of things not seen. What is evidence? Think about evidence. It's just this material fact that you would use to convince someone else of the reality or the truthfulness of the thing. Like, right, here is my evidence. Here is the evidence. Faith is my evidence. And evidence shows us proof positive that something is so. So how can something you cannot see be evidence? Yet the writer is very passionate that we would understand that faith is so solid that it replaces the material reality and it is the proof which we cannot see. Again, it's craziness. Faith is ridiculous to this world. But faith is faith. I love what Dr. Jerry Stott says. He says, this is how he describes faith. He says, faith is the placeholder until the manifested reality comes into being. I think that's really good. Faith, you know, and and as you think about your faith, what is my faith? Faith is the the placeholder until the manifested reality comes into being. And I want you to know your faith matters. This morning, church, your faith matters. Your faith matters. The Bible tells you that your faith is quantitative meaning that it can be measured. Uh, Paul and Jesus both use the word measure when speaking of faith. Paul in Romans 12, he says that every one of us has been given, remember this in Romans 12, he says everyone's been given a measure of faith and that we're, used, we're, we're to minister accordingly depending on what we've been given. After Jesus, he kind of gets on his disciples a little bit about having a little faith. In other places in the Bible, he expresses that he saw people with great faith. He, after this demonic exorcism, the disciples are like totally blown away and they're like, Jesus, remember what they, like, Jesus, would you just increase our faith? And all these words and all these phrases, they indicate that each one of us as Christians, I I want you to get this, each of us has a level, but that faith can be decreased or increased. You need to know that. So that matters like right now as we're sitting here at 1220, like we have a moment. We have an opportunity for the Lord to increase our faith, regardless of how you came in this morning. He's not here to judge you and to condemn you. He is here to actually encourage you to speak into your life and that you might be able to actually increase in your faith. Well, how do you increase in your faith? I want to give you two principles real quick. First one, to increase your faith that has been given to you. And I get it. Like sometimes, man, I barely got anything. Well, give barely anything. If you feel like you have nothing, then give nothing. Like give the Lord what you have. Your faith will not increase if you don't use it. So whatever you've been given, use it. Number two, stretch your faith to cause it to grow. Stretch your faith to cause it to grow. We, we've all been dealt this measure of Nepal. But don't you know we tend to get comfortable in that realm? I think about it like my body. Don't you know my body gets comfortable in this realm of around 231? It's comfortable. But there's an opportunity I have at LA Fitness to stretch my muscles to grow in training, to grow with my muscles. The same with faith. Faith is to be exercised. Faith is to be stretched. Faith is to be used. But don't you know, for it to become stronger, it requires for us to get out of our comfort zone and actually take some rest, risk. So we actually have to get off the couch, Dan Bursch, and put down the potato chips. Uh, we talked about this last week. You've got to take some risks. In faith, you have to take some risks. Again, you will look like a fool to this world. But there has to be this moment where you take a risk and you say, you know what? I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this in my own power and my own ability. In fact, if God doesn't come through, nothing is going to (laughs) happen. Right? That's faith. It is ridiculous to this world. I mean, it is crazy to this world. I mean, we are fools to this world because Christianity is a leap of faith. A leap of faith. And when you leap in faith, the world will just say you are crazy. But I'd also say this, every leap that you take, you leap from a platform. And what is that platform? It is faith, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. We leap from faith to faith. 
Romans 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen to this. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Do you see that? We leap from faith to faith to faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. As you walk by faith, you grow in faith. As you leap from one platform of faith, you arrive at the next platform of faith. If you feel like, man, I don't have any faith, start small. Don't try to, you know... I mean, I, you can try to move the mountain, but let's just talk about loving your neighbor first. You know, like start small and in faith, jump from faith to faith to faith. And I don't know what you're going through, but some of you, it might be time for you to take another leap, right? And maybe you're a Christian, you're like, oh, I'm a Christian, I know everything about the Bible and I'm just awesome. And well, maybe it's time for you to take that leap of faith that says you actually don't know everything and you aren't that awesome and that God wants to be in control of your life again. So he wants you to wave the white flag and surrender once again. Jump from that faith to the next faith. I just pray that you might have that opportunity this morning. And God loves you so much, he'd give it to you. Early in Jesus' ministry, I love this story. He goes to his hometown. And his hometown, if you've ever gone back to your hometown, they're like, oh, you're just Jesus, remember? You're the carpenter's son. In fact, we know the names of your brothers. We know your sisters. And it says, you know, he did some miraculous things. You know, they saw his wisdom. But it also says that they were offended at him. And Matthew writes, chapter 13, 58, he says, he didn't do many miracles there. Why? Because of their lack of faith. This verse blows my mind. Do you ever go through the Bible and read a verse and you're like, wow, like that's actually in the Bible? This is there. Every time this gets me. Because he didn't do miracles because of their lack of faith. That means in my mind that Jesus is drawing a correlation between his performing miracles and our measure of faith. And I get all the TV evangelist stuff I said earlier because that stuff ticks me off. But when you read the Bible, there is something, a correlation between our faith and the miraculous. That kind of blows my mind. Are you sure, God? Are you sure that I have a part of this equation? He says, yeah, I will perform the miracle, but to perform the miracle, I need an atmosphere of faith. Are you open to me doing what only I can do? The Lord would ask us often. Yesterday, I was preparing this message. I just felt like he told me that. He goes, I require an atmosphere of faith. And then let him do what he does. And and we don't get to decide what God does. But do we have that atmosphere Faith, it's this beautiful atmosphere for miracles. But look at verse 57. Look at, there's there's not the atmosphere. It says they took offense at him. They took offense at him. With this ingredient of faith, offense toward Jesus is a big deal. And I I hope that this speaks to some of you this morning. I want you to hear this. Offense at God, it ruins the atmosphere. Offense can destroy your ability to believe. In my 12 years of being a pastor, I've come to realize so many people are angry with God for one reason or another. Maybe it's because of a hard-to-understand circumstance, like the untimely death of a loved one like Phil or Carol. Or maybe it's that debilitating disease that came out of nowhere. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Maybe it's those years of abuse from the hands of another. No matter what the circumstance, people tend to blame God, either directly or indirectly, for that problem. And they get offended at Him. Some saying directly to God, Why did you let that happen to me, God? Why did you do this to me, God? Others saying, God, where were you? When I was suffering. Or why doesn't God do something about all the wickedness or the child abuse or the poverty or the famine? And what becomes difficult for those offended at God is that they now struggle to believe that God could do anything miraculous because they've already judged Him as being uncaring. And even if He is caring, they have judged Him as being powerless. You are a powerless God. You cannot, obviously you cannot even do anything. And so it is hard to put your faith, your belief in God. And if you find yourself needing a miracle and yet you have become offended at God, I urge you this morning, be reconciled with God. I get there's questions and fears and emotions and hurts and anger. But I just want to say it again, as the Bible would tell you again and again, that God loves you very much. In fact, He loved you so much that He's willing to die for you rather than allow you to spend eternity apart from Him. And this world, I've been in it long enough to see that it is confusing. It seems to be unfair. And it is very, very cruel. But don't put all of that on the Lord. God is for you, not against you. He never told you or promised you that you would live a pain-free life without trouble. Jesus is pretty clear in John chapter 16. I mean, he's talking to his disciples. Jesus loved his disciples. I mean, if there was love for somebody, Jesus loved his disciples. He said, brothers, disciples, the ones who I love in this world, you're going to have trouble. In fact, every one of you except for John, you're going to die. From the hands of another. But take heart. I have overcome this world. 
This world is hard and then it seems to get harder. But put your faith in a God who has overcome this world. I was talking to a lady after first service. I said the problem with so many of us is we actually think earth is better than heaven. We don't honestly believe that heaven is better than earth. Until you actually believe that the place that God has prepared for us is better than earth. We're just going to be grabbing onto this thing. And, oh, our faith is all about this life. Man, this life, this world, this, this day, this, what I'm doing here. God, God, me, 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 me. Happy, 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 happy. All my life, all my life. Me, myself, I, just consuming, 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 consuming. Until you actually believe heaven is better, you go, God, just whatever you do. Take my life. Let it be used for your glory. I still worry once in a while. Still have doubts. But God, every time I'm just going to funnel it through faith and put it back on you, God. I don't have the answers, but I'm going to trust in you, God. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to put my faith in you, God. Just funneling your whole life through faith, through faith, through faith. And if you're needing a miracle this morning and you have an offense toward God, I would just say use this time to say, God, I'm laying it down again. I'm laying down the offense. I'm laying it down. I'm putting down my grievances that I have towards you, God, so that I can start believing again and so that seeds of faith can be planted again in my life. Right? Don't you want a legacy of faith when you're done? By the way, have you noticed that once someone dies, they're actually quite, they're forgotten quite quickly. Uh, I I was looking at pictures of ancestors last night, and I don't know who half of them are. What's the legacy? It's not what they did or how they did it. Their legacy is their faith. Their legacy is who they were in Christ. And church, as we close this morning, I just believe that God wants us to rise up again in faith as a church. And it wouldn't be about what we can get out of God. It wouldn't be about us trying to build our four walls and build our little kingdom and our little empire. But it would be about, God, you have a plan for this community. You love Five Milton and Edgewood. And you've called us to be a part of it. And I'm going to put my faith into your plans and your purposes that, God, you would just be on display. Your love and your power would just explode in this community. And I would take my puzzle piece. I would take my little piece and I would put it down in faith and say, God, use my life however you call to use it. However you might want to use this little church called Life Spring, Lord, use it. Church, we are in the midst of miracles. We just had a miracle happen yesterday. We rent from the seven-day Adventist church, and as you know, next weekend is Easter, and they asked me yesterday, Pastor Dan, would you preach our Easter message? And I said, you bet. They're letting a four-square Pentecostal pastor come in and preach the message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I promise not to do that in the message next Saturday. <laughs> But church, I just believe so much in the power of God and and to put our faith in Him. Some of us need to learn what it means to cry and put our faith in God with tears flowing down our eyes. Because some of us, we just feel like we have to have the whole world figured out before we put our faith in God. There's just something about some of us need to go, God, I am in so much pain. I'm hurting so bad. Everything around me doesn't seem to make sense. But God, like you, remember Peter? I mean, Jesus gives this message. If you love me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, he says, you got to eat my flesh. You got to drink my blood. And everyone says, this man is crazy, right? And they all leave. They all leave except for his 12 disciples. He looks at his 12 disciples. Jesus is like, you going too? And what does Peter say? He goes, Jesus, to where else would we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. That is a faith statement, church. And some of you are going through the garbage of this world. I get it. But just there has to be a moment where you say, but where else would I go? Because in you is life. So let's do that, church. It's 1231. Let's pray to the Lord. Lord, I just pray right now that we would be a people that would just lay it down upon you, God. And that we wouldn't try to write a book on how to manipulate you or how to work you, God, or how to make you that genie in a bottle. We would stop making you the jackpot or the spiritual ATM machine, Lord. But we would instead in faith say, God, here's my life. Now you do the supernatural. You do the impossible. You make a way where there seems to be no way. And let it all be for your glory, God. Even if I die, if my last breath is today, Lord, may it be for your plans and your purposes. And may your plans and purposes prosper, Lord, on this world. Will your love spread through this community, Lord, would your love just be an unstoppable force, Lord, that each one of us, as we rise up in faith, we would say, enemy, you lose, enemy, you lose, enemy, you lose, that our lives would be all to the glory of God, each one of us in faith being poured out for you, God. God, I just pray that you would give us those opportunities. God, would you make it so painful to us, Lord, that we would have to say no to you again and again and again and again, that your voice would be so clear that we would actually verbally have to say, no, I'm not going to do that, God, that you would just continue to make your will and your plans and your purpose 
purpose is clear to the people in this church, God. And I pray for those that stop saying no and actually say yes to you, God, that they would be caught up in the rivers of your life, Lord, caught up in the rivers of your Holy Spirit, that truly, Lord, rivers from their bellies would begin to flow, Lord, of your Holy Spirit, and they would just begin to be rushing down, raging waters of your Spirit, Lord. I pray for a move in some life. Lord, I know that there's a couple people right now at the second service that they have been fighting against you, Lord, and it's as if they were going against the river, trying to walk upstream. And I pray, Lord, right now, Lord, with tears in their eyes, they might be able to say, God, I'm done. I surrender. I wave the white flag. Instead of trusting in my plans and my purposes and my will and my dreams and my hopes and my vision, God, I'm laying it down and I'm just going to ride the waves. I'm going to ride the rapids of your river, Lord. And I just pray that over those people right now, Lord, that they might be able to surrender to you, God. Surrender to you, God. It's hard to surrender. It is not easy. Anyone that is in this place right now that's going to surrender to God, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I love you. I encourage you. Keep it going. I know it's hard, but keep it going. God's with you. He's not for you. He's against, or He's not against you. He is for you. Just continue to speak, Lord. Continue to speak. Even now, Lord. There's some people, Lord, that they have an illness, Lord, and, and you have not healed that illness, and they've asked for you to take that illness away a thousand times. And they're like, maybe God is not in the business of healing. God, I pray right now that they would ask for healing a thousand and first time, Lord. That they would just continue to press into you, God. And press into you, God. Knowing, God, that you are answering that prayer, Lord. And their life is being miraculously healed by the name of Jesus. And their life is being formed and transformed into the beautiful expression that you want it to be, Lord. We do not get to dictate how long we are on this earth, Lord. But we do get to dictate how we're going to spend today. And we choose today to live for you, Jesus. Even in sickness and in health, Lord. We are married to you. You are our husband. We are your bride, Lord. And we love you, Jesus. We put our faith in you, Jesus. Let anything that is against you in this place be broken right now, God. May your word be true in this place, Lord. May we stand upon a foundation, God. May my ancestors, my grandfather and my great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather who came from Prussia, may his life not be done in vain. May his death not be in vain. Suffered, Lord, and, 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 and truly, Lord, we're mocked and may there be a legacy of faith that we stand upon right now. And may we do them well, Lord. May we do our ancestors of faith well, Lord. May we do those missionaries well today, Lord, by saying yes to you, God. Yes to your plans. Yes to your purposes, Lord. May you continue to place, Lord. We know, Lord, that dangerous places out there, Lord. We know that in this world there is some darkness, God. And I'm not telling anyone to be a fool just for this world, but God, if you're calling us, if you are strategically calling any of us, Lord, to go into the darkness, would you shine us with a light that is so bright that when we walk into a room, Lord, the darkness would have to flee. And I pray that over those in this room, Lord, that are called of you, God, to be fools for Christ, to leap out into faith, to leap out into the unknown, Lord, that right now knows that you have called them to take a leap of faith, a faith that is built upon a platform of faith, Lord. Right now, would you plant that within them? I know that by the time they get home today, Lord, there's going to be a thousand things of this world that will tell them it was just emotionalism, to tell them it was just uh, an idea in their head, but Lord, you steal it right that the word of God is speaking and you have called them to do the ridiculous. You have called them to do the crazy. You have called them to do the impossible, Lord. I pray that over their hearts right now, seal it on their hearts, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, we want to ask as well, Lord, right now, for anything that seems impossible in the world of marriages, Lord, that you would do a move right now. Because in our marriages, we have it all figured out. We know how it's going to play out. We know how the fight is going to begin. We know where the disconnect is going to happen. And we need you to do a miracle that is more than our brain cells can handle. There needs to be new routes and new pathways and new ruts in our brains, Lord. Because we've tried everything on our own, Lord, to fix our marriage. But Lord, we need a creative miracle. As you spoke to Abraham, that you speak things into existence, that which did not exist, you are going to right now in marriages, Lord, marriages in this room, you're going to speak things into existence that did not exist. Show us ways that before, Lord. I pray for a call right now, Lord, that you would be on display in the marriages in this church, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, as we head to Easter, Lord, I just pray that you would be heavy on our hearts, that we would stop making it all about me, myself, and I. God, would you show us how much you love the world and that you love... There is no plan B. <laughs> Church is your plan, Lord. Help us, God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, I, and you can raise your hands. I just want you to know we have these palm fronds, and that's the silliest name ever, but um, 
you get a front for free. <laughs> front, front for free. Um, say that five times fast. But what's cool about this is, remember they waved them and they set them down and, and Jesus came in on the donkey and they're like, here comes our king. The crazy thing, if you've ever watched the Easter cantata, like five minutes later in the Easter cantata, what do they do? They yell, crucify him. And as a kid, I never understood that. Like the same people that were doing that are saying crucify who we are outside of Christ, isn't it? We, we think we wanted a king. He wasn't the king that we thought he was. And we're like, well, kill him. But I'm telling you, as Christians, we believe that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. One day, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow and say he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Wouldn't it be great if we did that right now? That if we had a palm and we waited, we go, no, he's my king right now. Even though this world is telling me my God is dead, I know my God is alive. My God is alive. My king is coming. The Lord of lords, the King of kings. He rules. He reigns. He reigns in my kingdom. My kingdom right now, his kingdom has come in my life. His kingdom rules in my life. But one day he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to reign over everybody. He is the soon and coming king. And so I just want to encourage you, grab this from and take it with you. And I'm just with, in, with a verbal statement of faith, say, my king is coming and he's coming again and declare it over your life, over your family, over your marriage, over all the relationships in your life. In faith, my king is alive. He's not dead. So would you stand with us? Would you stand? Lord, I thank you. I thank you that church is only an hour and a half, so I have to talk really fast. But I thank you, Lord, that it's a a message that is just laser focused on you, Jesus, and who you are, that you would perform the miracle. I pray a miracle, miraculous, supernatural move of your spirit over every person in this room, Lord. I pray that they would have opportunities to hear your spirit this week. They'd have opportunities to say yes to your spirit this week, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you just continue to pursue them and pursue them and pursue them, Lord, and that with tears in their eyes, even with a heart that is broken, they could come to you, Jesus, and say yes to you once again. Lord, we pray that faith would arise in this place, that worship would arise in this place, that people would sing your praises, Lord. I pray for anyone, Lord, that feels like they have no more breath to give, they have no more faith to pour out, that right now you would just pour them, just overflow them with your spirit. Just even now, a deluge of your spirit, Lord, and just a receiving of your spirit on this place, Lord, so that they'd be able to come out of here and say, no, I have faith again. My faith is increased. My faith has risen up. My faith is here, and I put my faith in God. Lord, over each person that needs a miracle, Lord, would you just continue to speak to them your health, your wisdom, your truly, Lord, your provision over every person in this place. In your wonderful name I pray. Amen. Amen. We got about 60 people going to the Seder. I'd love to see 80 people going to the Seder. Also, Sunday morning, way too early, 7 a.m. service. The rest is history. Have a good week. Happy Easter. That's just too much to talk about.